What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Who is Jesus? At various times in history, the churches looked at Jesus in different ways. Usually uh, relating to our needs at the time. That song was written not long after the Depression. People needed a friend. (laughs) What a friend we have in Jesus. Or, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. We're going to change keys here. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Here it is. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Love that song. Okay, that's about my favorite song in the whole world. But Lord Sabaoth. Sabaoth is armies or hosts. The Lord of hosts. His name. From age to age the same. Is this Jesus, the great conqueror of Satan? Of course, both of these are. All of these pictures that we have of Jesus, they're all true. They're all real. There was a time when Jesus was a baby in a manger. A time when he was a carpenter. Three years, he was a rabbi, a teacher. There was a time when he was the suffering servant of the Father. Sometime after Paul was martyred, which happened five or six years after he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church that we just studied, the apostle John came there to Ephesus. He was there for some 20 years, yes. When, as an old man, he was deported to a prison colony. There he gave us a new picture of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Some of the apostles of Jesus mentioned heavenly visions, Peter, Paul, and of course, John. 
But only John was told to write those visions out for us. In fact, the first of seven blessings, Beatitudes, in the Revelation is concerned with that. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Whether you're reading it aloud, as I am now, or hearing and keeping it, which I trust you are and will, you are blessed. Pretty good deal. But before I read some more, let's get a layout of this work, this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John's next task in the book, introductions. He'll introduce the Father and he'll introduce the Spirit, but generally, primarily, he will introduce Christ. Not Christ as a baby. That's already been done. Not as a laborer or as a rabbi. Not even as the crucified Christ. John, in words inspired by the Holy Spirit, goes beyond the death, burial, and even resurrection of Jesus to show us Christ glorified. After that, he acts as a secretary to Jesus. <laughs> He's writing out letters to seven churches. It's these letters with which we will concern ourselves for the next few weeks. After this, starting in chapter 4, is the most fantastic representation of things that must soon take place. Soon in God's economy, means today, or this week, this century, maybe this millennium, or maybe in the next million years. You know, time just doesn't mean a lot to God like that. It's, it's not like it is with us so soon. What will happen soon, these representations, I understand to be about the end times. Not all theologians think this, but this will start with a seven-year tribulation, well, actually, only the second half of that seven years has the extreme tribulation. But that will be followed by a thousand years where Christ reigns on the earth with his saints, that would be us, and then a great cataclysmic end after which God makes a brand new heaven and earth where he will live with all his saints. We're not going to explore that section at all. And today, at least at the moment, and today we're only going to look at the introduction of the glorified Christ by John, and then Jesus' introduction of himself in each of the seven letters. Because we want to be introduced to this perfect man of God's own choosing. We want to know who Jesus is now, right now. Who is Jesus? And how will he look? What will he be when we see him? Jesus Christ, glorified. So let's read John's fantastic introduction and then we'll come back and look at some of the parts that might be more difficult to understand. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Wow! Now that's an introduction, okay? <laughs> an introduction to the glorious, glorified Christ. We don't normally picture Jesus this way. <laughs> We're used to the gospel picture of him, an earthbound Messiah, not a glorified Christ. But John, well really, John was in the same boat. He saw Jesus only a few times after his resurrection and probably his best memory was that time when he sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper. Just hours before Jesus was crucified, John sat comfortably leaning on him. Literally leaning on Jesus. Wow. But that was when Jesus was so obviously human. Now John sees the person of the Son in his human nature but in his full glory. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand at me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I don't know about you, but this really takes my breath away. I mean, this is incredible. It's a tremendous vision. So let's go back. Let's pick up some of those details that we went through so fast. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, obviously, there were more than just seven churches in Asia. Roman Asia Minor. These seven were chosen by Christ for these messages. A seven um, is a complete, a, a perfect number. So the idea is these seven churches represent all the churches all through the ages. Okay, But in what way? Everyone agrees that the good and the problems of these churches have existed in every age. Ever since the church started, these problems have always been around. And obviously, they all were right there at the beginning. There were seven real churches. <laughs> now, some hold that the balance of churches in each sequential part of the church age tend to be like Ephesus, and then Smyrna, and then all the way to Laodicea. And we have to admit, the early church did seem to struggle just like the Ephesian church is here described 
And now, you know, a lukewarm church, that seems to be the norm. Not, of course, here. We're perfect. But other people have problems. Uh, <laughs> you know, those other churches, not us. And I used to hold this time position, uh, but now I'm really not so sure. I, uh, I just think we need to examine ourselves, you know, as a church, as a church body for all of the issues. <laughs> Let's just do that and we'll see where we lie and I'm not going to worry about the other. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Him who is and who was and who is to come, it's universally understood to mean God the Father. Okay, we don't have any real issues with that. The natural next thing to expect would be a description of the Spirit, right? Father, Spirit, Son. I mean, but John writes, the seven spirits who are before his throne. Um, <laughs> well, seven, seven again is a complete, a perfect number, so maybe he could, he could mean the Holy Spirit, the, the completeness of the Spirit. Some hold, though, that this means angels, one for each church. Um, it was widely thought that every church as a group had a guardian angel, just as did every person. And, and some think that's what's meant here. I think they're wrong. Most commentators, and I agree, think that this is a Trinitarian reference, especially when you consider what comes next, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So be it. That's amen. That's Amen literally means so be it. So John's very excited. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, was faithful to witness of the Father. He was the first to rise from the dead and he is the preeminent firstborn of the dead, which is why Jesus is ruler over all kings on the earth. <laughs> Whether they're Domitian, who was persecuting Christians when John wrote, or any anti-God political powerhouse now. doesn't matter. Jesus rules over them. And you get the feeling that John just can't stop. <laughs> he loves us and freed us from the prison of our own sins by his death on the cross. And oh, by the way, as he rules every ruler on earth, it's no big deal for him to make us a kingdom, <laughs> to make us priests, every last one of us. For what purpose? To give glory to God the Father. So be it. Amen. But, you may be asking, they may have wondered when they got this letter, how does this come about? Give us something to hold on to, John. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. There will be a day when Jesus will come with the clouds. There will be. And nobody will miss it the second time. <laughs> Everybody's going to see it. Those who pierced him, Jews, maybe Romans, I guess they could both be there, but it doesn't really matter. Everyone who is not in his kingdom will wail when they see him. Because they'll know it's reckoning time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Remember this description the Father gives of himself. We'll come back. Now John starts to tell all he experienced. 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches. The description of Jesus and all he does is what we're really interested in here. That's what we want to see. So first, John says, his voice rings out loud and clear like a trumpet calling troops to battle. Okay, clear, loud. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands. Jesus said, we read a while ago, these are the seven churches. They are the seven churches. We'll get to that more as we go along also. Now let's get to Jesus. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Son of man, that was Jesus' favorite term for himself. If you look through the scriptures, that's what he calls himself more than anything else. He took it from the prophet Daniel, who wrote, like a son of man, about the Messiah 600 years before the Messiah entered history, okay? <laughs> Daniel also said that he would rule all peoples, nations, and languages. 700 years from the time Daniel wrote to the time John wrote, and they correspond with amazing accuracy. I mean, you've got to love the scriptures. <laughs> anyway, the robe and the sash. This speaks of the priesthood of Jesus and his power. Okay, that chest is the area of power. So, The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Okay, now we're, we're there. We're to this apocalyptic literature. This is the symbols. This is, this is what apocalyptic literature is all about. The, the symbols are the thing. But we should stop. Did you notice that John started with a description of the glorified Christ with that which is most like us and he moved ever towards that which is unique and amazing about the Son? Wonderful precision here. You've got you to love the way this writing works. So back to the symbols. Listen to this from Daniel. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Very similar, isn't it interesting? White stands for both purity and age. Age to a Middle Eastern person? Indeed, most non-Western cultures, most of the world, understand this better than we do. Equals great honor. Age is great honor. And of course, in the case of God, it speaks to his eternality. The fact that he has no beginning. He has always existed. He is that which is eternal. The only eternal one. But John's difficulty. How do you indicate in symbols verbal symbols that what God says is overwhelmingly true it's absolute okay how about his voice was like the roar of many waters <laughs> will that work he's like standing at the base of Niagara Falls absolute overwhelming authority power and truth that's what he's trying to get to here we'll get to those other symbols in, in a moment 
In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a moment when the disciples first understood that he was the Christ, and after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now try to put yourself into the mind of John, okay? He saw Christ transfigured when he was on the earth back then. And it must have been incredible. It must have changed his life. Nothing could ever possibly look the same again after seeing that. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. That was back then. And now, 60 years later, the glory of Christ is even greater. Okay? For now he is ready to judge the living and the dead. Ultimate, absolute power is in the hands of the ultimate one. No wonder when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The first and the last. What does that remind us of? Maybe Alpha and Omega? The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet? Hmm? There's no hiding who the person of the Son is now. This is God in glorified human form. Fear not! <laughs> How? <laughs> how, do you, how do you not fear? I am the first and the last and the living one. But also, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Because he gave his life, because he died and is alive forevermore, because he is the living one, he has the keys of both death and the grave. And if he has the keys of death and the grave, we can't be locked up there anymore. <laughs> we can't be locked up in death. We cannot be locked up in the grave. Let's remind ourselves of how, how, how does this work? How does, what's going on? Dr. Jean Elstein, University of Chicago, gave a talk called C.S. Lewis and the Question of Man. Afterwards, it's a great talk, you should read it. But afterwards, the very first question and the answer to it amazed me. Question, do you think we are a nation that either does not know how to love or is so terrified of it that we just don't do it anymore? Because to love means we have to die to ourselves continuously. Good question. Answer, she says love is a complicated thing. It involves a certain capacity to give of oneself. I think that the last four decades in American life, that notion itself has become into ill repute because we seem to have a kind of zero-sum understanding of the self itself. That is, if I give some of myself to another, it is a loss for me. If I give 10%, I am only 90% left for who I am. 
there's an equation of self-giving with self-abnegation that constrains in palpable ways our capacity to give of ourselves and to receive at the same time. Because our abstract view is that we will get nothing. We will just give, give, give and get nothing out of it. Wow. She goes on to explain why that's not true. But it's the sad, sad reality of life in America today. It is. But what is the reality of love? How did Jesus get the keys of death in the grave? By giving himself away so completely that all that was left was death and the grave. Love is all about giving your life away. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know what Jesus said immediately before this? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. The glorified Christ is the glorified Christ because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love is all about giving our lives away. It's, it's, it's all about that. And as Christ gave his away. And when you lose your life for his sake, you gain it forevermore. Isn't there somebody we can tell this to? Isn't there somebody? we got to tell somebody this? All right. And the question, who, who is we? Who, we give our lives. Who's we? And who is the Christ? We can get a little help and understanding from Jesus himself as he introduces himself to each of the seven churches. First, though, he explains a little something. We read it as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angel simply meant messenger, okay, originally. <laughs> it has come to mean a spiritual messenger. But did it then? Some think not that this is just the seven pastors of those churches. There's a whole raft of reasons I think that's wrong. <laughs> Most theologians actually think it's wrong. First, we have no record of a single pastor in any church of the time. They all seem to have had a plurality of elders who taught and, and ruled in the churches. So there wasn't even a single pastor. To, <laughs> the idea wasn't there then. But a closer issue is right here in this text. Jesus calls them stars. That's an interesting symbol. Because we know that the Old Testament regularly refers to spirit beings, angels, as stars. So if they are angels, each church then had its own guardian angel. And you know, there's a very good chance that this church has an angel assigned to look out for us right now. In fact, I think as much protection as this church has had, at least in the time I've been here, I think we must have two 
you know, I think we got double. I just think there are two guardian angels because we we just done too well. Anyway, <laughs> the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches. That becomes very important as we study through the next few weeks. So don't don't forget the lampstands are the churches. The first letter is to the very church from which John was torn by his government. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a glorious picture. The stars are held in the hand of Jesus. So we are safe in the hand of Jesus because that's where our angel is. <laughs> He's doing what Jesus says to do. And Jesus himself walks with us all of us every true church of his can feel the brush of his garments as he walks among us and there's more to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life the all powerful God the person of the son submitted to death which could not hold him for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And now we have life. But there's more. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. There will be a day of judgment. And we need to understand the urgency of that. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Fire purifies that which can be made pure, but it torments that which cannot be purified. The bronze altar in the temple in the time of the law before Christ was for the sacrifice of sins. Christ is the final altar for the forgiveness of sin. Christ judges because he was the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, we read this description in what John reported earlier, except for one little change. This time Jesus calls himself the Son of God rather than the Son of Man. Christ judges because he is also the Son of God. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus not only holds the stars in his hand, he has the Holy Spirit. Okay? We need only remember who he is, who Jesus is, and we begin to understand. John has already told us most of what Jesus said in introduction to the first five churches, but these last two bring an entirely new thought. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David. Just as we read a minute ago, he holds the keys to death and the grave. Now, we find, he holds the key of David. See, there's this, there's this Old Testament reference. 
where this guy has the key to David's palace. And because of that, he has access to all the wealth of David. Jesus has access to all the wealth of heaven. And if he opens that door to us, nobody is going to shut it, okay? I need an amen here. Come on, amen! (laughs) Then that other side, if he closes. If a person wants the blessings of heaven, they are available only through Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given under heaven I'm sorry, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Good karma won't get you to heaven. Joe Smith doesn't even know where heaven is. Muhammad, he's stuck in Mecca. Okay? You want heaven? You need Jesus. That's it. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the words of the so be it, okay? The one who has the final say. He alone is faithful. He alone is true. The beginning of God's creation. That means the origin and the first and the greatest. The word has a lot of range, (laughs) Because the Son of God, who created all things, himself became a creature. He wrote himself into the story. He became the one who suffered, the one who died, was buried, rose again. He is the one who ascended into glory, the one who is now glorious, and offers to all who will give their lives to him eternal life to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen who is Jesus? well he's the glorified Christ (laughs) he was a baby a carpenter, a rabbi God's suffering servant he died and was buried that the grave could not hold him. And one day, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. He is coming again. Real simple question. Will you wail? Or will you celebrate the glorified Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible image. It gets us just a little bit closer (laughs) to understanding the nature of Jesus Christ. He was never intended to stay a baby. But so many people never get beyond the cradle, the manger. Many people understand that he worked as a human being. They understand that he was human. Can't get around that. He really did live in the Middle East. He really did work. But they need to go beyond that. A lot of people love Jesus' teaching. What a good man. Said good things. 
but they don't get past that. They know he died. But do they know he rose again? The one, the one sign that they need to get, he rose again. And if he rose again, he must be who he said he was. He must be the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, then divine always, yes, but now human, glorified, always, forever, he will rule all people. And he alone should be worshipped. Lord, help us to somehow get that message across to people. Let them see the wonder of it, the glory of it, the excitement of it, and the promise of it that if Jesus Christ came back to life, then he conquered death and the grave. He has the keys. And we do not need any human being to ever be locked up in death and locked up in the grave. Only through Christ, though, can we be freed. Only He can let us out. Lord, help us to bring that message to people. And if there's any that hear these words that don't know, don't know absolutely that Jesus is going to free them from death, Lord, I pray that you'll work in their heart now and that they will seek out someone to find what they need to know to become yours. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.